We are the Marcelin Brothers, and this is the Marcelin Brothers Podcast, MBP for short. We are here to share our story and to contribute our thoughts about everyday topics in life. Time to sit back, relax, and get ready for the MVP attack. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? This is Harry, Marvin, and Alan. It is 3-14-2019. And if you are listening right now, you are definitely listening to the Marston Brothers Podcast. What's up? What's up? Look, look, look. It is the three of us. Marceline Cubed is back again. It's been a little while, everybody, but we have Marceline Cubed back at the town. So I'm very excited to see that. So I've got my awesome brothers, Marvin and Christopher. What is going on, Marvin? How are you doing? All is well, brother. All is well. So I got to play professor this past week. I went to my oh, alma mater. Yeah, I went to my alma mater and I was linked up with the American Podiatric Medical Association, and we talked about some awesome podiatric-related things that are going on in the field. And let me tell you, it feels great being on the other side of the aisle. So I'm used to being in the chairs, you know, receiving lectures and PowerPoints and whatnot. But this time, I was on the other side. I was the one that was giving it. So it felt great. It was a lot of fun. Who knows? Maybe I can do a little more of this type of thing in the future. I will say. I went and I talked to the different people within the school, like the administrators and whatnot. And one of them asked me if I would be willing uh, to come back and give a, a discussion about finances and individuals who are taking school loans and their path to uh, what it's like when you start to pay them back. You know, I'm a resident, I'm a second year resident, so I'm beginning that process now. So that's pretty cool. I Have think you? I want to take them on that, I want to take that offer. Have you started paying your loans back? Yeah, I've started paying. I've started paying. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's. Wow. Well, I think financially, that's really good because are you, you're doing the income-based repayment, right? Yeah, I'm doing the income-based repayment, and I've started my my payments. So. I think that's pretty smart wow. because the payments that you're doing now are going to be at a discount compared to what the payments will be once you get out. So any payment that you do now, in the long run, it's going to be a lot more affordable to do it now than later. So I think that's a good look. And maybe when you do go back, we should have that as a podcast episode when you're talking to that group. So I think that'll be an opportunity for you to be able to use that podium as an awesome opportunity to have a podcast on that topic. So... Let's talk about that in future episodes. What's cool. going on, Avon? Oh, man. Today has been quite the day. So Eli, the old firstborn son, had surgery today. He had his adenoids removed, and he had bilateral ear tubes placed. And just like Marvin, it was interesting to be on the opposite side of the drapes. Um, these are the same procedures I was doing every single day a couple months ago, and now I was on the other side. It was funny walking into the room, and all the nurses were like, what are you doing here? Why are you holding that baby? 
and I was like, oh, this is my son. And Eli had this surgery. He did great. And it was funny. When he came back home, he wasn't coached or anything. He just randomly would walk up and be like, mommy, everything is so loud. So with the ear tubes, he can hear much better already, literally within hours out. So we're very happy we did it. And that was the main reason why we did it is because of the decreased hearing we noticed. First was was like, well, is he ignoring us or can he not hear us? And then we got the hearing tested and they said that there was a 30 to 40 percent decrease in his hearing. So that really pushed us to get it done. Was it interesting, like you were talking about being on the other side? Did you know, like, it looks like you knew the nurses that were there. Did you know who the anesthesiologist was? Did you know who the physicians were? Was it interesting because you weren't talking to them as colleagues, but you were talking to them as a parent of a patient? Uh, it was a hand-picked team of all my favorite people. Of course. So, I knew everybody. I knew the physician. I knew the surgeon. I knew the anesthesiologist. I knew the tech. I knew the it was definitely as different for me as and I was even telling Ty earlier today later to imagine you know that I know everyone in the room and I explained to you exactly what's gonna happen multiple times and you still felt like anxious and weird. Imagine parents who don't have any medical background, don't have a coach, don't have an advocate for them and they're going through this. So that's always crazy. Well, I'm very happy that everything went all right. I think it is sometimes good to have that other perspective so that it makes you a better practitioner because you can actually say, hey, I know how it is to be either the parents of a patient or a patient itself, and look, we're going to take care of you. And you're going to know the things that you need to say to them to make them feel better because you were that patient or you were the parent of the patient. So. I think from time to time it is good to have that vantage course. That's awesome. Yep. And how about you? What's going on with you, sir? What's new with you? We, this past weekend, we came back from Disney. We did a second Disney trip. So this is the second Disney trip probably within six months. And the first time we went to Disney, Ophelia loved it. We were able to see the characters. We were able to see Minnie and Mickey. And she was saying, Minnie, Minnie, Minnie. And everything was fine. But this time it was a little different because when she saw the characters, I think she realized that the characters that she would watch on TV are very small. You know, they're like the size of her hand, so they're not intimidating. But when you see those characters in real life, and you see the big ears, and you see the big eyes, and you see the big mouth, she just started freaking out. She started clenching onto me. She's like, no, 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 daddy, no, no, no. And she wouldn't get next to Mickey and Minnie. So we sit in line for about maybe 35, 40 minutes before the fireworks. And it was time for her to meet Mickey and Minnie. And she, it didn't even work. We couldn't have her next to them. She freaked out the whole time. So we just had to say bye, sorry. But I think that'll be the end of our Disney trip for a while, just until she gets out of that stage. How was Eli the first time? Well, how old was Eli when he went to Disney? And how was Was this? How many times did you? How many times did you go to meet Mickey? Just once? 
Well, this that, is this trip. How many times did you go to meet Mickey? Or well, we were only there for one day. On this one trip, how many times did so? How many times did you go to meet Minnie or Mickey? Just, just once. Yeah, just once for this trip. Okay, so we've the Eli's been to Disney World twice. Um, the second time, he was probably close to two, a little on the older side, and pretty much that's just how these kids are. He did the same thing. He talked about the whole time how he wanted to meet Mickey, 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 Mickey. We stood in line for an hour. We went up to meet Mickey. He refused to get out of our hands and was like, nope, I don't want anything to do with Mickey. (laughs) So then we smiled, laughed. We left him in the corner. We went and took pictures with Mickey. He wanted nothing to do with it and stayed in the corner. As soon as we left, he started crying and said, I want to meet Mickey. Where's Mickey? I want to see Mickey. So then the second day, we were like, no, you missed your chance. You can't see him today. Mickey had to leave. And then the second day, we went stood in another line to see Mickey. And this time he was ready because he knew that if he didn't go to see Mickey, he would miss his chance. So the second day, he went up to Mickey, gave him a high five, and took a picture with them. Nice. So I think it's just shell shock the first day, the first time. They're going to want nothing to do with it. If you were there a second day, she would be like, oh, let me get my act together and meet Manny, and then she would have been fine. That's my hypothesis. Um, we're not going for a while, so I guess we'll have to find that out there. Well, it's been nine minutes. Let's start off with our news story. So we're going to do some news stories again. This is our current events episode. So, Marvin, you want to start us off with your article? Sure. So for my article, I got this from Fox News, and the topic is... Top five jobs for millennials seeking six-figure salaries. So as the economy strengthens, some of the young Americans are hoping that their salaries will rise as well. So millennials specifically are those aged from 25 to 37 with at least a bachelor's degree. Wait, does that mean all three of us are millennials? We are millennials. Millennials. Hey. Interesting. So age 25 to 37, with at least a bachelor's degree, had a median salary of 56000 in 2018, according to a survey from the Pew Research Center. However, there's people who are definitely looking for more. According to an August survey from TD Ameritrade, millennials feel as though they need an income of 80000 to be happy. It's basically a 30000 increase from 2016. And for those in the right professions, wages could definitely exceed those goals. So they went ahead and they took a look at the top jobs for younger Americans looking to earn more than $100,000, which was compiled by um, a group called Go Banking Rates, based off of data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So number one, you have financial analysts. So basically a financial analyst works at a business like a bank or a pension fund and provides guidance to companies and individuals regarding investment decisions by assessing performance of equities, bonds, and other assets. It takes an individual just one year in this profession to near six-figure earnings. The average salary among those employed in this profession, including 112,000 millennials, is $99,430 a year. The second one, management analysts. People working as management analysts are responsible for advising their organizations on ways to improve efficiency, including increasing profits and revenues and in reducing costs. Within just three years as a worker, um, one can earn a salary of about 100000 
according to the Go banking rates. Currently, there is about 212,000 millennials employed as management analysts. Number three on the list, computer systems analysts. The function of an employee working as a computer systems analyst is to improve a company's computer system with the aim of improving effectiveness and efficiency. Median earnings for people working this job is about $92,740 a year. Qualified candidates tend to have a bachelor's degree in computing or in information science. It takes about three years for an employee to work his or her way up to that six-figure salary. According to the Bureau of Statistics, demand for workers in this occupation was expected to increase by 9% in the 10 years through 2026. So number four, civil engineer. Civil engineers work on infrastructure projects from conception to construction and maintenance, including things like roads, airports, bridges, and buildings. According to BLS, demand was projected to rise 11% in a decade through 2026. The average salary is $91,790 a year. It would take a millennial about three years to earn that six-figure salary. Number five, mechanical engineer. Mechanical engineers design and build machines, equipment, and tools. The average salary among people in this profession is about $91,500 a year. Uh, there are currently about 95,000 millennials working as mechanical engineers. So that was just a rundown of the top five um, you know, professions to reach that newly sought-after number of about $80,000 or more dollars a year. Uh, that the millennials, according to this uh, research article, is saying um, that they want in order to be happy and to feel that they have enough to sustain their lifestyles. So I was really curious to see what you guys think about um, this article and that breakdown. Thoughts, questions, concerns? So I guess my number one <clears throat> thought would be why? Why is there a sudden surge of millennials needing to make more money and why did they hit 80,000 and I ask this question with a pretty good understanding guess on what the answer is my answer would be student loan repayment um, I think most people these days now have have it ingrained in their head to go to high school and after high school go to college, after college, maybe look for a job. If you can't find a job, go back and get a master's, go back and get XYZ, extra letters behind your name. And then they kind of were coming out with a job that doesn't really match up with the amount of loans and debt they have. They want to get so they're kind of working these high powered jobs and over 50% of their income is going to student loans, not even housing. Usually housing is your biggest um, bill. So I think that's why people are realizing, hey, I need to make more money if I'm going to go to college and have all these loans and then start living my life. So that's just my thought is kind of why that's happening. And I think it has to do with the, the loan issue. Yes, for me, the first things that came to mind, I thought this was an interesting article just because I didn't realize those those professions made that money. So if you were to tell me what are five professions that get you in the six digits, 
I don't think I would have guessed any of these did. So that's interesting. And I think that in looking at these professions, I think a lot of these professions, you just need to make sure that you have your bachelor's. And I don't know if you need more than a bachelor's. I'm not as familiar with all of these. I'm sure the more degrees you have, the better it is. But in looking at some of these, a computer systems analyst you know, says here that you have a bachelor's degree in computer or information science. Civil engineers, I don't know if you need a grad degree for that. And some of the other ones, I don't know if you need a grad degree for that. So I think if you're looking at degrees that you can get more bang for your buck, if these, in fact, do allow you just to be able to get into these professions with just a bachelor's degree, I think that is a good way to be able to decrease the amount of loans that you have, maximize on the the degree itself. And from reading the average years that it takes for you to get to these average incomes, it doesn't seem like it's a very long time once you start. Like I'm reading here, the civil engineer is three years to get to that point. The computer systems analyst is three years as well. So it seems like out of school, four-year degree, you work three or four years and you're making six digits. So I think that's a very cost-effective way to be able to go to school, just have a bachelor's degree, and then come out with something like that. So I thought that was pretty interesting as well. Yeah, <clears throat> I would definitely echo all those sentiments as well. And because if you're looking at the traditional college student, so you graduate from high school around 18 or so, you graduate from college around 22, and you put in two to three years, you know, you're looking at around 25, 26, where you're going to be making a good salary, like six digits. Um, you can't really beat that. And I, I do like the points that you're adding there, which is this is based on uh, a bachelor's degree. Um, we're not even talking about going into even higher education after uh, undergrad, uh, where you're probably going to rack up tens of thousands of more dollars. So it's really fascinating. But when I was looking at that list, uh, something that a theme that kept on coming to my mind was um, mathematics. So this is this list has a huge following of individuals who um, probably are really good at math. Um, that allows them to get to this level to make that type of money. So, yeah, yeah. math is important. Mm. Extremely important. Christopher, why don't we have you do the next article? Because I know you got to be getting ready to get out of here pretty soon. My article kind of similarly falls in line with some of the stuff I added. Basically, it's interesting. It's about college admissions and everything. Um, apparently, there's an admission scam that's the largest college admission scam ever prosecuted by the Department of Justice. So basically, it's this huge bribery cheat scam that's involving cheating on the SAT, ACT entrance exams, and people buying admissions to elite schools for the wealthy children. So basically... I actually don't even know how they found out about this, but what they're saying is that um, parents are paying payments disguised as donations upwards between $250,000 to $400,000 per student to what they're calling the mastermind, um, William Singer. And what he did is he took this money 
and laundered it through his college counseling service. And through this service, he was able to bribe college officials and coaches. And he said between about 2011 and 2018, he received $25 million in total to guarantee children's admissions into schools such as Yale, Georgetown, Stanford, USC, University of Texas, UCLA, and Wake Forest. Those are just a couple of the ones that were named. Um, interestingly enough, um, the, the justice system is not going after the colleges, the schools. And kind of that upset two of the students of Stanford University, and they filed a class action lawsuit against the schools regardless because they're saying that they were taking part of it and they were failing to make the admissions process kind of fair and free of fraud, cheating, and bribery. Um, kind of just to skim through the article and see some of the other stuff they were talking about, they are kind of knocking on the door of this is more of an I told you so moment of saying that those who are well off have better access to things. And this is just another example of being able to buy your way into school, et cetera. And it's giving the people with privilege a step ahead above the rest. And it's screaming kind of some of the people from lower socioeconomic classes are saying that this is what we've been saying all along. Um, this is why we wanted the affirmative action for entrance exams to push for diversity because these type of things are going on regardless in the background. And kind of just some things I wanted to discuss that's interesting is they're painting this as something new, some sort of scandal that's scandalous, that's happening. And is this really new? Is this really scandalous? Is this really something that should be prosecuted? Um, for since the beginning of time, I feel like legacy has always been given a leg up, a special consideration. If your dad or mom went to University of Miami, you have a better chance of getting into University of Miami. That's just the way it goes. If you donate a new library to the University of Miami, I think you're going to get into the University of Miami. This isn't something new. Um, if you are able to put your kid in a college preparatory class from the age or a, one of those academies from the age of 16, or I guess since this is high school, they have to be younger, maybe like 12, and you have them preparing for SATs for six years, you can do that because you can pay for the classes. Yes, you have an advantage. Is that something really that's malicious and intent and something that should be prosecuted? I mean, it just goes back to the beginning that no matter how you paint it, if you have more, you're able to prepare more for life. And that's just, I don't know, that's just what I was thinking about it. Um, they're painting this as this new scandal, and I just think that that's kind of how life is. And that's why it's important to offer scholarships for... Um, different diverse applicants who don't come from the same background and still are able to score the same score or higher or don't have six years of college preparatory background and are still able to get into these colleges. I do believe that 
the entrance shouldn't be different, but if you can get into the college, I don't think you should be stopped by going to that college, especially uh, Ivy League college because of price and not being able to afford it. That's just my thoughts. What are you thinking, Marvin? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I'm, I'm looking at it from uh, different points of views. And uh, the points that Chris um, gave, I think that's remarkable. I, I appreciate the way that you're able to dissect this and look at it from your point of view. Um, I want to take it from the perspective of um, the finances. I don't know about you, but you know we're all in the healthcare field, and I'm sure when we talk to our mentors and uh, you know the old timers, uh, a lot of them can tell you stories about how they were able to work during um, you know off semesters, whether it's you know the summers or whatnot, and they would actually would be able to make a, a legitimate dent into their their school finances. But that's just not the case with us anymore. Like, there's no way that we can do it. Why is it within one or two generations, the price for all this schooling has dramatically increased? Like, we're talking like 10 times. And then when you hear stories about this, like, basically, the parents are making bribes and it's going directly into the administrators of the school's pockets and they find a way to you know give them a kickback and let them into the school um but that just you know belabors the point that it's just more money that's being thrown at it and the more money that you're throwing into it the more difficult it's making it for everybody else to actually have a chance because i don't know we all are kind of sort of in the same boat, whether we are currently paying for our loans back or we already did it. It's just way too expensive. I don't see how our our prodigy behind us are going to be able to do this because it's just way too much. It's way too much. And, and articles like this just go to show that if you have enough money, whatever, just throw it at it. It's, they'll, they'll take care. They'll get what they want done but for the average person that's too much of a uphill climb to to try to maneuver so i i look at it from the financial side and it just makes me angry because stuff like this which we know goes on is just making things harder for everybody else so a couple of things oh go ahead christopher <clears throat> no, no you go first so what i was going to say so you're question that you had is you don't know how it was discovered so the way that it ended up happening was so i i was able to when i was looking at the news the article that i picked out said the discovery of the college admission scandal came only came to light after a suspect in a separate fbi case revealed it hoping for leniency the wall street journal reported so essentially he tried to get himself a lighter sentence by giving some information so that he could you know essentially walk so I think everything that Christopher said is true. I think that, you know, money, the rich get richer. And I remember filling out applications and on the application said, hey, do you have somebody who went to the school? And you would list out people who went to the school. So it's always been about who you know. I don't think that I'm really surprised at the fact that people with money will have these opportunities. I, the parts that I've heard from the stories that are interesting are that people would pay coaches like there's this one thing that i read that said the tip 
reportedly led to the FBI to Yale woman's soccer coach, Rudy Meredith, who was accused of taking a $400,000 bribe to help a student gain admission. And then I've also heard stories of people paying um, different people to say that their kid was an athlete or their kid was a recruit for the crew team or their kid was, you know, some sort of all-American blah, 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 just so that essentially they're paying for their resume. So I think that part is interesting because do I feel like people do that all the time? Probably yes. Do I feel like people do it and don't pay all this money to do it? Probably yes. Is there a way that these admissions individuals can find tooth, go through every single application and go through every CV and cooperate everything that they put on there? Probably not. Now, I'm not saying that I would condone something like that. But I think it's interesting because I do think stuff like this happens all the time. What I think is interesting is that so much of America will talk about athletes and how, oh, you just got in for this, you got in for that. Look, for the most part, you know, if the college wants, the college is going to want you for something, whether it's your money, whether it's you are a athlete who's going to be able to generate money it all boils down to money at the end now i think maybe if you look at 100 percent, maybe that's 25 to 35 percent of the people and then everybody else who's trying to get in they have to get in the traditional way but it's the same story that we see all the time is if you have something that somebody wants then you'll be able to get it so this like, like christopher said this is not the first story this is not the first time this has ever happened. I think stuff like this happens all the time in the background. And this just is taking front stage because of the people who are involved. Like, I think one of the characters on Full House, it was, um, you remember Jesse? Jesse's wife on Full House? Yeah. I think she yeah. is one of the people who ended up paying bribery money to be able to get her daughter to go to school. So... That is what I think is probably more insightful and in what people are talking about. So you have, you know, 10, 15 years ago before now, everybody's saying, well, the only reason why you got into school is because, you know, you're an athlete. So now people are saying, well, the only reason why you got into school is because you're rich. But at the end of the day, I think if there is a way for you to be able to game the system, people are going to try to figure it out. I just think that a majority of the people who work hard, their way of gaming the system is by getting good grades, studying, trying to do everything that they can so that they do have an attractive resume or CV so that they can get in. But it's the same thing, so I'm not really surprised. So, I mean, it's just like that's the angle I'm kind of coming at is since this has been going on forever – why are we attacking the um, diversity programs that are trying to set aside X number of seats for specific individuals? There's already X number of seats set aside for legacies. There's already X number of seats set aside for those who donate libraries to the school. There's already X amount of seats set aside for athletes. Why can't there be X amount of seats for different students of different cultural backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds who are able to do these different feats? I think it's amazing if someone's able to score the same score as someone who's had seven years of college preparatory tutoring 
versus someone who just had the books and did it themselves. I think they should both be rewarded. One is rewarded from the merits of their parents, and the other one's rewarded from the merits that they're able to do themselves. Not saying one's better than the other, but I think they should both have an opportunity. And one of the things that this article points out that we're just going to touch on, not even scratch the surface, is the mentality of once people get into school, kind of the the how they, the idealistic way that they believe or see themselves. Um, these guys that are coming in from different backgrounds, uh, small fish, big pond, are all of a sudden pushed into the league of the juggernauts who've been tutored by the mathletes from 10 years ago's Olympics, who's now their personal tutor, and they're in the same class as them, and they're constantly feeling like they're not good enough, they don't belong here. Um, how come Jim is able to come in on day one and answer all 37 questions correctly? It's because he's had 10 years of preparation for this moment and you'll get there eventually and you got to walk before you run and you do belong because you made it in so just kind of a support system also once these kids get in to let them know yes you do belong you're at a different point of the curve but eventually you'll catch up because you're 10 years behind and it's amazing to see graduation how everyone ends up on the same league and how quickly everyone acclimates and gets to the same point once it's ready for master's, doctorate, PhD, et cetera, et cetera. Very fascinating. <clears throat> Sorry. When, when uh, thinking about just higher education as a whole, um, I tend to have like different ideas as well, uh, of which like, what's the value of higher education? What are you really paying for? I've always come to the mindset that if you pull one professor from one school and you put that same professor in another school, um, how much of a drastic change will you uh, see from that? And I'm going to argue that you don't really see as much of a drastic change, but what you're paying for is uh, the culture of the school and uh, the colleagues that you're going to be going to school with. Because if you're going to a place that is quote unquote um, higher echelon, the chances of you running into someone else who kind of thinks the same way that you think and are driven the same way that you're driven probably increases such that um, <clears throat> you'd be more or less willing to work together to create something that's new that might actually change the world. Um, so I think that's really what you're, you're, you're really paying for when you're going to these major elite schools so i don't know that's just my thoughts my opinions do you have any uh, no, what do you no, think no. about that i 100 percent agree um in my sociology class we've talked about this for many lectures you go to college you're paying pretty much to get certain relationships um i'm just gonna make up a statistic you know first of all uh, seventy-three percent of statistics are made up on the spot. Um, Sixty-four percent of people will meet their mate in college or some sort of educational area. It's the easiest way to meet them. You're in a pool of single people who are the same age as you, who have similar interests. Um, you're in a safe territory where it's all people your age, free from predators. You're in a learning environment. That's a great way to meet other people and find your mate. Um, you're most likely going to find 
your good friends afterwards and later in life. These are going to be the same guys who's going to be the connections you build later on. So let's say Tim is roommates with John. John's dad works for a Fortune 500 company. Guess what's going to happen after he graduates? John's going to ask his dad to give Tim a job at the same Fortune 500 company, and then they're going to be interns together, and all of a sudden they both have amazing jobs. You're paying for the relationships and connections. No, I think it's interesting because all three of us, if we look at our schools, we all have different school backgrounds. You know, I went to a public state school out of state, you know, up in North Carolina. It's, you know, UNC Chapel Hill. Wow. You Marvin, just have to name drop that real smooth. I'm going <laughs> to name drop everybody's school. Marvin went to... Duke University. So he went to Duke. You know, it's a private, you know, very prestigious school. It's called, what is it? You guys are Harvard of the South. Is that what you guys call yourselves? I don't say that, but I, I have heard that before. Yeah, I've heard that. And then Christopher went to EIEIEIU, Eastern Illinois University. So I think when you look at our schools, each of our schools have different backgrounds, different types of people who go to those schools. But at the same time, we all are working in the healthcare field. So I think it's interesting when you look at what you're paying for. And I think depending on what profession you're in and what you want to do, I think the school that you go to could matter. But at the end of the day, Nobody asks me, where did I go to school? They just see that I'm a pharmacist. And I'm sure they say the same thing as you, Marvin, for a podiatrist. And then in anesthesia, I mean, I'm sure people will say that about you once you go. I mean, they may ask that as a question for a conversation starter. But as far as what they look at, they look at what your degree is in. And did you pass whatever exam is what the most important thing so I think when you're thinking about that, that's one thing that Leah and I have talked a lot about when we're discussing what we want to do with Ophelia, where she's going to go to school and what she's going to do. That, you know, am I going to pay, you know, six digits to her college tuition when as long as she graduates from an institution and is smart enough and can go to another institution, does that undergrad school really matter? Now, again, it may in some circumstances, but in a lot of circumstances, I feel no. I mean, Christopher went to EIU and look where he is now. You know, so I, 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 I bring, so I agree. So I, I bring all that stuff up because it's very easy to fall into that trap of, um, oh, they're going to this school because they paid this money or that money. But if you understand what you're paying for and you understand why you're going to what institution you're trying to go to, maybe you could bypass all this. So let's say you're trying to go to a certain institution and then you see that all this riffraff is going on. People are paying people off to get into this school and you're not able to get in even though you probably rightfully should be able to. At the end of the day, if you know what you're trying to do, 
you don't necessarily have to go to that institution. You can go to another institution that wants you there and then you can take care of business and still get to the end point as long as you're motivated and you have that drive. Um, it, it's just really important to find the right type of people to surround yourself around to help motivate each other so that you can get whatever accomplishment that you want to get. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll definitely, like one of the things that I want to talk about is, you know, hacks for college and how can you get to a certain point but with paying a fraction of the cost because this is a topic that we can go on and on and on about. But let me hurry up and finish up mine because I know we've already been in for 40 minutes. So oh, wow. my article is more of a, it's more of a current, it's a current event. I'm just going to read it because I, I can't describe it. I just need to read it. So my article is, this is from Newsweek. This article came out on March 12th, and the title of this article is Semen Laced with Drugs Sends Woman into Anaphylactic Shock, First Medical Case of Its Kind. So when you hear that, you're probably already thinking, oh, man, this person, what is going on? Is there some sort of weird, you know, hallucinogen medication? What is going on? So let me read the article, and then after that, we can just discuss it a little bit. A woman in Spain suffered an anaphylactic shock after she ingested the semen of her partner who had taken a drug she was allergic to in what doctors believe is a unique case. A case study published in the journal of BMJ Case Reports details how the unnamed woman arrived in the Hospital General University in Spain covered in hives, vomiting and suffering from shortness of breath, Science Alert reported. The 31-year-old told doctors her partner had ejaculated in her mouth during sex before the reaction occurred. While it is rare but possible to have an allergy to semen, the woman had no past history of such a response. After checking off anything the woman herself had taken or come into contact with as a potential cause, it emerged her 32-year-old partner had taken amoxicillin clavionic acid, so that's augmentin. The man had been prescribed ibuprofen and the antibiotic augmentin for an ear infection. She had taken the latter drug four hours before having sex. According to the U.S. National Library of Medicine, augmentin is a form of antibiotic. It is used to generally clear up bacterial infections such as those affecting the skin, ears, lungs, sinus, or urinary tract. While amoxicillin kills the bacteria, the clavionic acid in turn stops the bacteria from destroying the antibiotic. Doctors believe the woman was affected after, her, after the drug transferred into the man's semen. They advised those worried about experiencing a similar reaction to medications to use a condom during sex. To our knowledge, this is the first case reported of a suspicion of amoxicillin-induced anaphylaxis in a woman after a sexual contact with a man who was taking the drug the authors wrote. Few studies have investigated whether amoxicillin can be transferred from a person's digestive system into their semen at a level where it is still active, the team said. Similarly, there have been a few known cases of reactions caused by drugs ending up in semen. But we have found some concern in sensitive patients about the possibility of transference of allergens via sexual intercourse, they wrote. The authors added, as clinicians, we consider that it is important to be aware of the existence of this possibility, both in the diagnosis and prevention of anaphylactic reactions. According to the International Society for Sexual Medicine, a sperm allergy is caused by a sensitivity to the proteins inside the fluid. The condition is most common among women. The allergy can trigger a reaction in any area that comes in contact with semen. For instance, it can trigger a burning in the vaginal area as well as redness, swelling, itching, and pain. 
However, these symptoms can spread through the whole body, causing hives and potentially life-threatening anaphylaxis. So I thought this was interesting because I've never, when you learn about how reactions occurred, I never thought that this could be a way of, of transferring it. I mean, when you think about it, I guess it kind of makes sense, but I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts on that? I, I just thought this was an interesting article. This is an interesting case report. And what this is telling me is that, you know, if you're allergic to something and your spouse is ingesting it, there couldn't be a way of transmitting that to to you. But from your guys' schooling, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I'm very, very interesting very, case study. <laughs> very skeptical. I think this is trash. I don't believe any of this. There's a blood-brain barrier with the semen that barely anything crosses through. Um, you're saying that the antibiotic crossed this barrier, got into the semen, was transferred to the woman, went through her <laughs> digestive tract, and after being through her digestive tract, all of a sudden caused the anaphylactic reaction in minutes. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is trash. Check your sources. Check where you read things on the internet. The internet has things made up all the time. This is why we practice evidence-based medicine with stuff in peer-reviewed journal articles. And that's the key. Any Joe Schmo can write anything on the internet, and you have to check your sources. No. I don't know. It's in the BMJ journals. And you have to check the source of your journal. <laughs> there's yeah. respected journals, and then there's other journals. This hey, isn't B JAMA. BMJ is... Journal is, of the American Medical isn't that, Association. Isn't that the British Medical Journal, BMJ? I still don't buy it. One reaching article to make headlines. Show me some science. I need to see some science. Yeah, I mean, when I, when I hear that, I wonder if... If they miss something, you know, I'm not here to argue that she didn't have anaphylactic shock. I'm sure she did. It's just there must have been something else that triggered that anaphylactic shock because it does seem kind of far-fetched to me. However, I'm not, I didn't write the article and I didn't interview the patient and, you know, I just need to see more. I need to see more cases of this in order for me to really start leaning in that direction to say, wow, I guess this is something that can happen. That's just me. But very interesting, though, nevertheless. And again, that's why I picked it, too. Like, do I believe it? Do I think it happened? Do I think it not happened? I don't know. I mean, it's a case report. So, again, it's a case report. You know, case reports, when you look at all your different evidences, you go from randomized control or you go, you know, your Cochrane... Your guidelines, you know, you've got that. And then from the guidelines, you've got your guidelines that are written from your randomized controlled trials. You've got, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then usually your case report is the very lowest. It's right. anecdotal. It can be coincidental. You just say, hey, this is what happened. This is what we see. We put them together. Maybe it works. Maybe it doesn't. But, you know, I thought, again, like I said, you know, very interesting case study. 
This is an interesting case report. And, you know, as a case report, you know, you you have to take that for what it's worth. But nevertheless, I thought it was interesting. And I think it was interesting for us to have a conversation about it. <laughs> so I'm going to correct myself. Um, I said blood-brain barrier. It's similar to the blood-brain barrier. And in fact, it's called the blood-testes barrier. And basically, it's a physical barrier between the blood vessels and the seven efforts tubules. Basically, it's in the testes that has the environment where the sperm functions. And basically, what it does is it has uh, primitive germ layer cells with the Sertoli cells, and it has tight junctions, adherent junctions, and basically it allows it to control the environment in which the sperm cells develop. And this is very important because if this blood testes barrier is ever damaged, um, usually by trauma to the testes, torsion or impact, or vasectomy, um, sperm can enter the bloodstream. If sperm enters the bloodstream, it can form an immune, autoimmune response against the sperm. So even more of a reason why I say, show me the facts. Mm. And again, like I said, it's a case report, so it's got the least amount of facts. All right. <laughs> so it's twelve ten. Any? What do we want to have our MVP crew leave with? So Marvin, leave some actionable tips, things to have your people listen, think about when they go away. Ladies and gentlemen. Boys and girls, understand that uh, college is extremely important, and I hope that you guys take this seriously when you venture out to make that decision as to whether or not to go to college. I would challenge you guys to try to fine-tune and focus on what it is that you actually want to do and see uh, how can you get to that um, to that that level or whatever it is that you're trying to strive for because you will soon realize that there are different ways to get to that destination and just understand that your finances are important um i know we can we can all get loans uh, through the government for the most part but those loans will have to get paid back so please 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 take it seriously think and uh go after your goals all right christopher what do you want to leave the group with um, just to be cognizant of other people's point of view, um, you can be gung-ho on how you think, oh, this needs to happen because of X, Y, Z. Take a step back and see where other people are coming from. Everyone's having their own argument of, oh, rich kids shouldn't be able to buy their way in school. But just like you said, if the school is after something and you can provide it, you're providing a service for the school, that's going to give you a way in because everything in life is give and take and it's unfair sure why not um someone's naturally born six seven is able to be coordinated enough to dunk a ball they're going to get in because they can play basketball you just happen to be born the son of a senator you get to go in that's life happens just be cognizant of other people's point of view that's all should I say that if you're allergic to amoxicillin, don't have sex with somebody who's taken it? Mm, I wouldn't. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think that the article that I read today, you know, again, it's, 
I, I agree with what everybody else is saying about the article. So just because you read something, you want to try to look at what the sources are and understand what the context is of the story. And I think in any news story that you have, whether it's politics, whether it's current events, whether it's sports, will process it and think for yourself what the article means to you and how you should interpret it into your own life, I think. So don't just take everything at face value. Try to do a, a little more research in what it is. And then with that information, choose what you choose to believe and not to believe based on the information that you have. All right. All right. So it's 1214 on 315. My birthday is 318. So I am going to start my birthday weekend, everybody. So I hope you guys have an awesome day tomorrow. I am not working at the office. I am going offsite working at working with the group. So it'll be fun. And then I'm going to have my three day weekend and I'm going to take my birthday off on Monday. So I'm looking forward to that. Cool. Happy birthday. All right. Get out of here, guys. We'll talk to you later. MVP crew is signing out. Thank you again. Make sure you guys subscribe. If you guys want to get at us, marcelandbrothers at gmail.com. Please leave an awesome review at either of the places where you listen to our podcast. And with that being said, good night, and we'll talk to you guys later. Deuces. Later. Thanks for listening to the Marcelin Brothers Podcast. And remember, do work and make a difference in somebody's life.